Another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. It has been a wild couple weeks, let me tell you. I have been all over the place uh, getting to meet so many of you. I was in D.C. for work, and then I went over to um, San Diego, sold out shows in San Diego, L.A., San Francisco. So it was so great to meet those of you that came out, and I can't wait to meet the ones that didn't. I will be bringing in some new cities into the circulation. Coming up soon, if you want to find me in Calgary on June 21st in the evening, you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram at Create the Love. Okay, so this week, my gosh, one of my good friends... Rafael Cano. He's amazing. And we actually met very serendipitously. I tell the story in uh, the podcast, but I just love how life works out. You know, I'm very much a believer that as you get more on your purpose, as you get more um, in authentic alignment with who you are and how you self express and all those things, I just really do believe that somehow, man, we just end up on this path where we meet amazing people. Good Lord, it's been unbelievable. So before I get started with Rafael, I just like saying it like that, um, I wanted to let you know, or ask, I should say, is probably the better way of saying it, um, if you can give this a five-star rating wherever you listen to this, that is super helpful for me, and also if you can leave a written review. So grateful when you guys do that. It really bumps up where my podcast ends up in searches, and then more people can get this information to their ears. Rafael and I are good friends. He is all about being a soldier of love. He has a very fascinating story about his experience of love and coming out. And man, this guy is just heart and his his mission on the planet is one that inspires me. So I'm really excited to be able to share our conversation with you. Sending you all so much love. Talk soon. And without further ado, here's Rafael. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. It is my great pleasure today to introduce you to, I'm going to do this in my Spanish accent, Javier Cano. How was that? Is that good? Is that good? That, that was glorious. That was fantastic. Probably better than my Australian accent. Should be like, yeah, good day, Roy. He's, yeah. We have Rafael Cano here. How was that? That, good? that that actually was pretty legit. My Australian is really bad, so an I Australian would tell me that was shit. So we'll just <laughs> move on. Um, <laughs> Rafael Cano is a good friend of mine. We met in a coffee shop in New York City, in Soho. Gosh, what five years ago? I think now. That was a, a bit ago. That was. It's been a minute since then. But yeah. that story. That story. I don't know if you want to tell it, but it's actually pretty interesting. I think. Yeah, I mean, I was working at Ground Support. I think is the coffee shop we were at. Yeah, it's ground support in Soho. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, all of a sudden, this lovely gentleman came up to me and said, he didn't know he had to look up my name. I think <laughs> I knew my name, my Instagram, create the love. But, but yeah, you came up to me and you're like, hey, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. No, well, let me tell you the buildup before yeah. that, because it, I, I find it super interesting. Also, because, yeah, yeah, it was a, a while ago. You know what I mean? It was... Pre, it was like Instagram was still kind of becoming the thing. People were using it as a platform for sharing. 
And my story, I'll start from like the very beginning. I remember I had broken up with my very first boyfriend and I didn't have people at that time that were able to just really like help me heal in the right direction in terms of emotional intelligence and all of that good stuff. And so I don't remember exactly how, but I stumbled upon your Instagram and I was just like, create the love. Yes, I am here for it. follow. And then everything you would say, as I'm sure everybody who's listening can attest to, is that the way you use, you know, again, like we were talking, the beautiful combination of your brain and your heart and bringing both um, their beauty to the forefront and having strong intellig emotional intelligence, but keeping it real in the way you explain everything in captions really resonated with me. And so it was a while that I was following you and just kind of learning, taking you as kind of like my go-to, my pillar in terms of healing for that relationship. And so then I was in New York and I remember that morning, something told me, I remember feeling, I need to switch it up today. I just need to go to a different coffee shop for my morning coffee. I need to just up my energy and, and, and be guided by that energy elsewhere, wherever that is. And I remember I was walking down the street. I ran into somebody who had a ping pong on the sidewalk. I started playing ping pong. <laughs> Did you in New York? <laughs> right. I played a little bit of ping pong and I went to the coffee shop and I walk in and I'm about to order and I look to my right and you're sitting there on the computer. And I thought, I was just like, oh my God, that's Create the Love. But again, I didn't know your name. <laughs> I was like, that's Create the Love. So I had to look up your name, uh, your Instagram, and I saw your name. I was like, okay, Mark. And so I ordered my coffee and then I went up to you. And at that time, I had just started doing the UN Love stickers. Yeah. And, and, and I just remember feeling the need to say hi and, and, and just exchange energy. And so then that's when I went up to you. And I was just like, I remember sitting next to you, like kind of like squatting down just to like not intimidate the whole like me standing over you and just being like, hey, are you Mark? Or what did I say? I don't even remember what I said. Yeah, and then you gave me one of those. You told me uh, thank you and gave me one of the one. Of your oh, right. I said thank you for your words. It's helped yeah. heal me precisely. And then you're like, yeah, man, let's take a selfie. And then I remember that selfie. <laughs> yeah, and then we sat down and we got, I mean, that was the birth of such a beautiful friendship. And well, yeah, and like, I think what's crazy about this, like as I was um, looking back is that those like 10 seconds of telling, uh, tuning in with myself and being like, no, yes, I do have to engage right now, have opened this like massive gateway to just this abundance of connection to you, to Kai, to Kelsey, to everybody that has enhanced my life in like such an elevated way. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah. I look back and I think I'm like, when you're in that space and like, you know, your, your <clears throat> intuition, your soul is telling you like, hey, do something about it. Like say hi um or have that little 10 seconds of courage or whatever can open doors in so many beautiful ways and like look at us now we're just jamming on, the, on your on your on your podcast being homies rolling yeah, with the homies then. <laughs> you, know, you, you said a couple things that i just want to highlight for the people listening one is exactly what you said about the the desire to follow a fleeting feeling to change up your day you know like go to a different coffee shop try things differently and there's research by, um, there's a great article called The Science of Luck, or mm. The Luck Factor, I think it's called. And yeah. it's about how they, you know, they did a, a study on looking on what, like, what unlucky people do, do versus lucky people do. And of course, unlucky people were like, I'll volunteer for that study so I can prove how unlucky I am. <laughs> Only solidifying their story. Right, yeah. exactly. The victim mindset. And then they taught unlucky people what lucky people do. And they became lucky too, because <laughs> it's like the science of optimism. All of a sudden, one thing that was huge about what changed people's lives was the 
changing up their routine and going to work different places, um, driving different directions, talking to different people they would never normally talk to. Like yeah. one of the guys said that he made a rule of that because he used to always gravitate towards the most attractive woman in the room at parties or mm. at like conferences. So he made yeah. a rule that he'd only talk to and he would choose the color of a shirt that day. So he talked to people in blue that day or only, in, and so he found himself in these amazing synchronistic experiences because he didn't allow his like biological drive to choose for him. I thought that was that, really That's amazing. Yeah. And that's how you live your life is, you know, when I, for those of you that don't follow Raphael yet on Instagram, you'll notice that he's spreading love everywhere. So all of a sudden he's in Reagan, New Mexico, and then he's in <laughs> Mexico, and then he's in Europe. And you're and like, just leaving to South Africa next week. You know what I mean? Just, well, but, but the thing is, like, I think I work a lot with this um, healing doctor that does network spinal analysis. I don't know if you know about this, but he, you know, for someone who's external like myself and, and being able to live at a higher level and what makes sense and like nourishes my soul is to like follow the breadcrumbs. It's exactly what you said. Like that feeling of like, you know, I need to switch it up today. Oh, you know what? I'm going to be geared towards this direction because energetically it's going to uh, provide something new for me and, and believe in that like optimistic uh, following of those breadcrumbs, kind of like what you're saying. Does well, and I sense? think it's, yeah, it totally does. And I think it's important to add the sort of disclaimer that doesn't mean life is filled with is not filled with or doesn't experience negativity or challenges. Of it's course. Like, like you so intuitively do is like if you're dating someone or you're in a relationship and and you get this intuitive hit that says something's up here, I need to have a conversation. That's the yeah. same breadcrumb. It's the same exactly. breadcrumb that leads mm -hmm. you to a conversation you don't want to have, but most of the time we don't do that. Yeah. And life doesn't feel life free and easy, which is my rules for 2019, that it has to feel life free and easy. Love that. Doesn't mean it doesn't challenge us and isn't scary. I think that's because mm -hmm. most people then bypass and they go, oh, so I'm just supposed to follow joy. <laughs> like no challenges. No, that's not what it means. But go yeah. towards where joy is. Go towards where joy is and then also have enough, you know, emotional intelligence too, to be able to like sift through things and know exactly what you're saying. Exactly. Like what you're saying is knowing where this is coming from and that it's it has to be something that's going to nourish you in terms of um, your path in life. Like if you have to have that uncomfortable conversation, cause you're having that intuitive pickup with somebody, then do it, you know? And um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Light free and easy is on the other side of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But instead we bury that shit and then mm -hmm. if we plant that seed and it grows like into a tree of discontent. Yes. So I've never met a tree that felt discontent, but that was probably a bad analogy. But, you know, <laughs> a bad metaphor. Um, you know, what I would say to that is, and this is what I've been feeling and like kind of tuning into recently, it's that when it's from the soul, it's effortless. You know, yeah, and that's true. It, it just, it, it really is effortless in the sense of like your knowingness of it. That doesn't mean that the work of showing up and doing what you have to do to get there or do that isn't going to require effort. But that what is true and is truly aligned and is from the soul, it's effortless. It's this feeling of like, okay, I just have to take these steps and this is what, it just feels right. Does that make sense? It's that yeah. easy where you're talking about. When I have to say um, a big gratitude to you is that you've really brought, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, I would, I have come to you expressing um, a desire to understand more, you know, what it is like to not be heteronormative, to not be, you know, to get your perspective on, 
what is this experience of this conversation for you? How does this look for you? What is this? And you've really yeah. been such a safe space for me to say the wrong thing, which I often do. <laughs> but to be able to say like, am I landing correctly with this? Am I off? Yeah. And your, your, your openness around your sexuality, your journey, your experience is such a gift to so many people. I love that you call yourself a love activist because it's truly like love is love is truly how you live. Thank you. Yes. And I, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to have you on here, especially not only because you're a love activist and that just fucking kicks ass as a title, but <laughs> I wanted to say your name with that great accent that I have. That's, we all know that's exactly why you wanted me on here, just to, to say, say Rafael. Rafael. <laughs> but it was also to, I don't want this podcast to be a place where we don't challenge norms. We don't, which right. to be fair, like sexuality and relationships, you could argue that the, nor the true undercover norm is that everyone really experiences love very similarly, but also differently. And yeah. different types of relationship structures have existed forever. <laughs> like totally, totally, none of it's new, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of the things are like just at the forefront in terms of normalized for conversation. And there's so many things that are not normalized yet for conversation that people are doing or trying to live, but ha aren't having the healthy conversations um, through normalization. And that, you know, based on, again, my, my sexual orientation, normalization is so important in terms of just anything in life. Like you need to be able to, again, feel safe and have the space to communicate these things and to ask the right questions and to maybe make mistakes, but have the support to be like, hey, I understand where you're coming from, but actually maybe let's try it this way. You know, it's just like raising the consciousness together and having those conversations through normalization for all types of relationships and all sexualities is super important. Yeah. Like the irony, right. Is that this conversation in, in a lot of ways shouldn't be special. You know what right. I mean? Like, right. Right. And, and I guess let's just not label it that then. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's so funny you, you say that because I've been thinking about it. I'm like, you know, in my head and in my world, we already like, we're all these just like divine, mystical, beautiful creatures that like these certain things and are just kind of like, I'm, I'm very in the, in the clouds about that universal consciousness. Uh, and I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I don't even have to say that I'm gay. But then I realize, okay, well, we are having this human experience. I am in this human suit. So I do have to deal with whatever it is around me. Yeah, I'm in this human suit, which, you know, you got to love and enjoy. And they say we're just souls in a bunch of meat bags. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, like I, I'm like fully on board with Oprah when she's like, you know, we're these divine beings having this human experience. And um, uh, I lost my track. Where am I going with this? You were talking <laughs> about how you shouldn't have to, you know, say. Right, right. And so my thought, my, my belief is we really shouldn't be having these conversations. However, if you look back at like humanity in terms of like, many years, decades, or centuries, what's really been going on is that there's been this raising of consciousness. Like, people don't do what we used to do in the 1500s. Why? Because we've learned better and we do better now. So collectively, we are raising consciousness. And it's like people like you and me are having these conversations that are planting the seeds for people to receive and to allow those seeds to grow into plants and forests and all that wonderful stuff. We are actively raising the consciousness and getting to the point where we want to be, where we no longer have to have this conversation. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah, of course, we should never have to have these conversations in an ideal future that will be a reality. But since we are the ones who are going to get us to that consciousness, then we should use our 
body vessels, our mind, body, and soul to get us there. And so like, I used to resist it and be like, no, I'm not going to talk about people like I, uh, about myself to people. What, what's the point? Like my life is my life. But if I do believe in raising consciousness, then I am an active participant in terms of, we all are in terms of getting to that space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the context of your experience for people, because from that space of intersectionality, you know, I'm the least intersectional human on the planet. I'm white. I'm straight. I'm a male. I live I in Canada. Like, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like there's really, in terms of being born into adversity, I recognize my innate privilege. Um, yeah. And I can't really actually understand how powerful my privilege is without actually understanding different forms of intersection. And right. I, I want, because you're so good at expressing these things, I wanted to really get into a bit of just your story and your experience and, you know, so people can understand, like, you were born in El Paso, right? Yeah, I was born in El Paso, Texas, which is funny because I never talk about that. But, yeah. No, I mean, I'm willingly talking about that What was it that like? Now. Like, when did you actually know or have this intuitive hit that you're like, I think, I think, guys, what's happening? Okay, well. I don't even know how to say that without sounding like I, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm about to tell you something that I've never really told anybody, and I'm deciding that I should say it on a podcast where yeah, what people are going to listen to us. What yeah. a place to freaking go. Don't worry, this you... podcast is only getting downloaded by maybe 60,000 people. So. Yeah, yeah, very casual. You know, this is a very safe space. No one's going to know. It's I'll like just, another coming just... out. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny what I'm about to tell you. Uh, so technically... And this is something I really have not said. My first kiss was a guy. Uh, we were both four years old and we kissed each other. We were, he was my neighbor. He was like one of my, he was like my bestie. Um, and we would play house. We, we, were, we were legitimately best friends. Yeah. And I remember we were playing house and we're like, oh, you're the mom and you're the dad. And it's like, okay, well, we have to kiss. And so like we kissed. And I remember just um, that being my first kiss. And no one really knows that. Um, huh. Well, so there's that it in this very safe platform, <laughs> very safe, yeah. very private platform. Yeah. So there's that, but I wouldn't say like that was the moment that I knew, but I, that is important to know that at least maybe there were some subconscious factors already in play in yeah. me that I didn't even have to uh, worry about. Do you know I what I mean? I think it's fascinating the education that happens in that though, that you're playing these heteronormative roles of the home, you know? Yeah, well, and, because and that's, that's what's normalized. Not, of course, mm -hmm. yeah. And you're growing up in El Paso, so, you know, religiously too, you know, did you have a certain belief that you're going well, well, so El Paso is a really interesting place um, because it's right on the border with Mexico and El Paso, mm -hmm. the city that it borders the spot is, El Paso and Juarez are basically just one major city divided by like a national border. Um, and everyone, it's a very free flowing community. Uh, it's like what, total like 3 million people. So it's pretty large. So um, it's its own little unique culture. It's more uh, laid back, chill, progressive in a way, but also still religious ties to, you know, that Catholicism for the most part in terms of yeah, Mexican, yeah. Mexican history. So, I personally was never told anything was wrong or anything like that. But like when you grow up in an environment where, you know, you, Catholic school and all those things, like there's messages that you receive in very subtle ways 
not from anyone specifically, but just that kind of, it's like, oh, these, these are the norms. Like, you should follow the norms. There's certainly a narrative from Catholic. A narrative, I'm yeah. a recovering Catholic. As oh, my God. I've, I have fully destroyed. I have recovered. I've released. We're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I do see the beauty in all, re- like, side note, just in terms, since we did touch on religious um, institutions, uh, the thing I always tell people, it's like, look, religious principles come from a very pure place. They all come from the same source, God, universe, whatever you want to call it. The principles are beautiful. It's the religious institutions when yeah. uh, you get and the egos go. from humans. Yeah, it goes in and it really, you know, that's what I tell people. I'm like, just trust the principles. If it serves you purpose being a part of institution, great. Just know that, you know, the principles are for everybody. I mean, I love how uh, sensitive you are to everyone's perspective. I'm a little less in that I'm like, listen, Christ wasn't walking around <laughs> judging people and segregating people and... This is true. He might have even been a she. And, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm like, right. how do you, if you saw people through the eyes of Christ, you would never separate. And yes. Again, we mm-hmm. don't have to go down the religious path because that's a whole. Well, now I kind of want to. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, the thing. This but is that is thing. an imperative part of your actual experience, though, is, is the yeah. socializing. And because, of course, society and, and, and religion are, are, and culture are often synonymous. Right. I mean, there's, there's Mexican culture too, right? The, the lines are blurred. There's no black and white, you know? And so I think I had to come up with, with what I just talked about, the difference between principles and institutions. I personally had to make sense of that so that I could make peace with it, forgive it, release it, and coexist with it in a very peaceful way. So that's why um, I've had to work to get those understandings uh, so that I can be at peace with myself and that with life. So that's why I kind of wanted to mention that. And to just kind of like wrap it up in that, in that topic is that one of the best ways for me to look at people and the ways of how they've lived their life and what institutions they uh, choose to uh, identify with is to just look at everybody through those eyes of soul intimacy. Yeah. You know, if you really see everybody through the eyes of soul intimacy, like whatever it is that they're doing is almost irrelevant, like because you know their purity and their divine innate, their innate divineness. That it's just kind of like, okay, if that institution serves your purpose, like go do it. Who am I to tell you what to do? You know? Totally right. Just choose beliefs that make you feel good about yourself. That's yeah, the, and like and have behaviors that align with beliefs that align with a good human being, of course. Exactly. And so then I'm like, Satan's my God. I'm like, okay, well maybe we should maybe talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's things that's like, okay, if it's going to nourish and, and enhance <laughs> your divine experience, great. And if it's, if, as long as it's not harboring on anybody else, then, you know, that's okay. But um, there's certain things that are just kind of like, <laughs> well, you know, it's like, be kind, but no shit. You know, it's like, there's a huge difference between compassion and tolerance and yeah. compassionate for someone's position, but that doesn't mean you tolerate their shit. You know, yeah. and I think that's an important um, people who identify as empaths often don't know how to hold that line and they're upset that they don't. Well, have a- well, see, the thing about empaths is really interesting. You mentioned it. I know we're digressing, but, you know, all the good conversations digress. Yeah. Uh, the, we'll circle back. We'll circle we'll, back. It's the circle of life. I've been listening a lot to the Lion King soundtrack, FYI. So we'll, <laughs> we'll circle it back to the circle of life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's just what I've been saying to myself. Um, Wait. Yeah, you forgot where we were going. There's a lot of circling here now. Okay, well, well, let's... um, Well, let's go back to El Paso. Yeah, let's go back to El Paso. (laughs) This this is like... What are they doing? 
Okay, so we're back. You're in El Paso, you're a child. I'm in El Paso, you know, and then the, you know, there were times, it's the way I tell people, because I get that question often. They're like, well, when did you know? I'm like, well, when did you know? You know, you start getting those butterfly feelings and that little bit of attraction towards a crush when you're what, like in third, fourth grade? Yeah, I think I was starting. Yeah. Third, fourth, fifth grade. It was like a... uh, uh, romantic. There was a, an, a, a beautiful side of it. It wasn't lost yet, you know? Yeah, no, it, it was, it was almost like the way I would describe it as like, Oh, you're my best friend. And like, I really care about you. And yeah. like, I really like being around you. Like, this like, is fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I remember the one, at least when it was like physicality, like when I really felt and knew uh, now looking back is I was in third grade. I remember one of my best friends, he, he had an older brother who was probably like eighth or ninth grade and had obviously gone through puberty. And there was like, this is very specific, but there was hair on his legs, obviously. Uh, and, I, and we were all playing tag at his house. Um, it was, you know, like what you do, you go over to your friend's house and you're playing tag, hiding to seek, la, la, la. And on one of them, we were like running. And I remember it was so quick, but so, um, it was just so strong and powerful. Like the experience. Yeah, like slow motion gets in your brain and our legs just like we ran past each other and our legs like very briefly touched like almost nothing but that felt like i felt like an electricity in me that i was just like oh wow like this is um, you're big in his pheromones i was yeah i was attracted to that and at the time i didn't know what that was because nobody had ever normalized that type of attraction or that reality so i didn't know what it was so i just kind of like put it in a box and put it away and went about my life and i was also very young and so, yeah, so that's when a very distinct, clear, like at the time when everyone starts having crushes, that's when I knew for sure. Like I was like, well, this is, this is just who I am and this is what I like, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and then walk us through what, what keeps happening? The life of Rafael. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> okay. So then, you know, you go about your life. I put it into a box and just kind of like dug it in deep and never really thought about any of that. And I, you know, was just focused on school and like friendships and then went into high school. And I remember this is like, I didn't really think about too much about sexuality at that time. Like I really, I really just enjoy being around humans and friendship and connection and beautiful life experiences. So I think I really just focused my energy and attention there. But I remember in high school, I was a junior and I went to an all boys private school. And at the time... Uh, there was a guy that would always sit behind me in math class every morning in the homeroom. And he would always whisper in my ear and say, like, hey, are you gay? And it was almost, like, too intimate to be asking me. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't ask anybody that because their story is theirs to tell when they're ready. Mm-hmm. But he kept – now I look back, I'm like, dude, this guy was psychologically, like, so projecting himself onto me. <laughs> and uh, – hoping. Yeah, because there was a lot of things I looked back and I was like, mm, pretty sure you're a gay dude. <laughs> I mean, I have a good friend who most of his first uh, experiences with men were with so-called straight men. Right. A lot of hockey exactly. players. That sounds, I mean, if there's a hockey player yeah. listening, they'll be like, no, not hockey players. And I'm like, <laughs> what hear? is it? Vancouver Canucks or Canucks? <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know about <laughs> them, but I think <laughs> that was interesting growing up of like hearing that story and being like, oh wow. Like how many men are suppressing this and living I mean, great lives, 
even in, I mean, you see that in a lot of very extreme religious society, mm-hmm. you know, cultures and, and, and spaces. Um, yeah. Well, know. see that that's what we were talking about prior to like the podcast. It's like the normalization is so important, you know, and when we grow up in a society where normalization is for everyone and all types of, uh, people orientations, sexuality, then we won't get to a space where people are quote unquote straight or, you know, bi curious. It's just like, you really just are free to be exactly as your sexuality is, whatever that may be. Yeah, and like fluid as opposed and to anything. Totally fluid. Specific, and yeah. fluid, like fluid just even feels great. You're like, yeah, okay, I can go, you know, it just, it just feels more free. I mean, there's a lot of freedom there, right? And you're there's like, a oh, lot of freedom there. Way more people on Tinder or Bumble. <laughs> open yourself yeah. up to a couple spaces. Yeah, yeah. If that's your thing, yeah. Um, Look, I got to tell you, the people who are most against um, gay marriage or any combination of genders or even within gender is such a spectrum too. Now, you know, it always has yeah. been, but that conversation is a spectrum. Anyone who's hyper against it, I feel like on some level is afraid. They're about, a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that they're afraid they might be gay or they're afraid like there's a, no, there's a rejection of self that's happening Yeah, that, or that and or puts their belief system in such jeopardy because wow like all of a sudden they're so threatened exactly so whenever one of our pillars of what we base our life upon feels threatened all of a sudden it um these walls and fight or flight kind of comes in yeah yeah we cling tighter and i remember louis aloro you know louis uh louis um to me once he said i live as if that um, I, live, I live as if one of the five core pillars that I base my life upon is dead wrong. I live mm. as if that's always true. And it's usually the one you cling tightest to. And I was yeah. like, ooh, shit. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. People, yeah, it's 100%. And I think going back to the initial part of your statement is it's that internalized homophobia. It's that internalized whatever phobia of what it is that we're dealing with, knowing at a deep level that that is somehow a part of their reality yet they don't want it to be and because it's not normalized they're going to shame it so that's kind of like a defense mechanism like i definitely had internalized homophobia i remember in high school you know there's this other guy i wouldn't say a friend but you know you're drinking uh quote unquote and he he would almost kind of wait very um until I was kind of like tipsy or he was or whatever and come up to me and be like, come on, just tell me you're gay, right? Blah, blah. And it's just, um, this is not the same guy from math. No, this is another guy, okay. but, but, but that internalized homophobia that I had, because I was just like, no, 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 that's not normalized. I'm not a part of that. Like, that's not who I am. And so I was very rigid and very defensive. Like I would get angry. I would get mad. I mean, not angry, like throwing things around, but just angry with him and like not talk to him anymore. And like, it was this, because I was functioning from a place of like, I haven't accepted this in my life. I know I'm that, but it's not normalized. And so therefore I'm going to go on the complete opposite and, and, and hate against it or just be totally uh, defensive about it. So whoever's the most reactive, studies psychologically do show that it's because they have a part of that in them or they are that. Um, so that's really interesting when you see a lot of people vocally in society, very anti something it's because they're very much that something, you know? And so it's like, oh, they have to, de- I'm just like, you know, they have to deal with it. And until they do, a lot of people, uh, until they don't, they won't soften and allow themselves become, to live their life. 
Did you become a uh, hyper, hyper hetero after that, just for that time being like really emphasizing your heterosexuality or pursuing women or? No, again, because like my, like I, as a human on my own experience, like I really just never put sexuality to the very forefront. Do you know what I mean? Like I was just really like just focused. Sort of avoidant even of it in some ways. Yeah, like avoidant. I, I guess you could say not consciously avoidant, but like at one point I did make that decision to be avoidant and just kind of lived in avoidance of the sexuality. Does that make uh, sense? Like I'm not sure how to look at this yet because I can't make sense of it. So I'll just, just not look at it. Yeah, I'm just not going to look at it. There's no, there's nothing like, there's no anger or anything unless it gets brought up because I don't want to look at it. But other than that, like I was a happy guy living my life and great friendships and great experiences until fast forward to I was 19 and studying in Paris. And I remember at the time, uh, well, Parisians, I mean, French, there's a lot of beautiful physical, physical aesthetics going on there. And I remember there's like, just like <laughs> AKA saying they're hot. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. A lot of beautiful aesthetics. <laughs> Gosh. manifesting in Paris through yeah. the Parisian human vessels. <laughs> Their meat bags are great. Okay, Their cool. meat bags are fantastic. It's grade <laughs> A organic French countryside. You know? I don't know how organic the French are. They're like smoking too, but we get it. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so I was there and I remember thinking like your body tells you, your body like you talk about is very intelligent and is communicating to you at the same time. So it's like in the mind, body and soul connection like all three are communicating and all are trying to help and and sorry yeah uh, all all three are trying to communicate and so at the time my body was just saying like hey dude you're very much attracted to these french men and my <laughs> mind kept you're resisting like it. six to nine you know what do you mean that saying you made me go from six to midnight never heard that dude I've never heard that. Oh, never. <laughs> well, sure. I was going from six to midnight. No, midnight in Paris. Pun intended. Oh, Full dad joke. Yeah, yeah thank you. You're welcome. Dad joke. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so I was in Paris and attracted to these men, and I remember so much internalized uh, homophobia or resistance to it that I really just couldn't. I, I kept ignoring it and like journaling and being like, no, 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 like you're straight, like you're gonna marry, like. A woman and that's what that's what your life path is and like that's what you're supposed to do blah 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 it got me so wow. stressed yeah it got me so stressed out that i broke out in all uh acne only in my forehead and as we know forehead acne is strictly correlated to uh stress anxiety wow. and so wow. i remember feeling this like insane amount and like i'm using the correct term like insane amount of uh anxiety overwhelming my body and like i had to hide that as well because i was studying with friends and also with my family so it was just like this double whammy of just like i have no clue what to do and i remember just journaling so much trying to find peace but i was <clears throat> trying to find peace through resistance which is obviously not going to get you peace like you couldn't find like the peace you were finding was an avoidance of actually paying attention to sort of the elephant the reality the yeah the yeah one yeah 100 percent hey, you might like men. And you're like, ah, no. Yeah, my body was like, this is the truth. And my mind was like, no. <laughs> and my soul's just dead. So, like my at that time, were you in some way consciously fighting that truth? Oh, 100%. Yeah. This was fully like, you see all the cards on the table and you like, you know exactly what each card <laughs> is and re represents, yeah. but you're just very conscious to be like, no, you know what? This one, we're going to slide over here and we're going to put it in this little box and we're going to lock that box and dig it deep into the body. And I was good at like 
keeping it down. But at this point, like the box kept rising up very quickly and, and hence the anxiety because I wasn't ready to deal with it. And um, so what did you do? I mean, I just struggled. I struggled. I didn't come out till I was 22 and I was 19. So what, it, what how did you manage that? Because you have this acne now on your forehead. You're experiencing so much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, how do you how do you cope? What did you use to cope? I legitimately don't know. I just did what I had to do. Like I'd go to school, I'd study. I know I turned, I leaned a lot into my mom, and I'd call her and talk to her a lot and find safety there. But I wasn't telling her what was going on, so there's only so much I could do. Like, and that's the thing with people being in the closet. You literally don't feel like you have a safe place to go. I mean, there's many safe places to go. So if anybody's in the closet and listening. You know, there's many resources that you can look for in terms of, um, no, there's a bunch of LGBTQ resource centers in different cities. Uh, Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. 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 Because people are in the closet and listening to this, you know, statistically one one in 10, one in 10 scientifically are somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that's a little. We don't want them to feel alone and, and, you know, we do what we can to help support that. So we'll definitely link that out. Awesome. And, and see, that's the thing. You feel like there is, I felt at the time that I didn't have a place or anybody to talk to about this. So I didn't. And so I, you at the time for sure. Exactly. And also just like the societal consciousness was less than, I mean, this we're talking about, I'm 29 now, that's 10 years ago. So like that conversation of uh, being gay and thriving, not just trying to survive, but now we're out of space, like where we're having conversations about thriving, which is what we should be talking about. Um, But Going back to then, it was just like, that wasn't so normalized. Marriage equality hadn't passed in the U.S., things like that. Not even marriage equality in Paris at the time. Well, there's Um, definitely a fear, you know? There's a lot of fear, you know? My safety, my... These are fears that a straight white male doesn't experience, but certainly a female always experiences walking down and and for a gay man or or anything. And I think that's why, like, as a little side note, I think that's why women and gay men can bond very quickly and get to know each other very well and have deep friendships is because we relate to each other in that sense of, of, um, I don't like saying marginalized, but like being part of uh, not being, uh, I don't know how to say it, but like we just bond so well because we get, we get it when you're not fully seen, you're not fully validated uh, by certain people of society. So it's, it's a very bonding experience to have with someone regardless of, what the topic is but having the yeah. same uh, experience it's it's very um bonding but so yeah so going back to paris i remember at the time i just i didn't do anything about it really i just tried as much as i could to box it in i legitimately did not talk to anybody about it i and it's incredibly um intense and tough and difficult to have to keep something inside for years of your life and not it, it not being out like I still after that three years later came out and even then I was just like you know it was like I got to a point like fast forward to when I was 22 I got to a point where I was so aware that I was attracted to men and like I mean hello duh it was just I couldn't breathe I literally felt like I was suffocating like I legitimately felt like I was suffocating and I had to do something about it and obviously I valued myself enough to just be like okay enough we're going to live our truth and we're going to do it. But also in a way, because I knew it was so vulnerable and sensitive that I wasn't just going to go, you know, go to a bar and hook up with a guy. Like I needed to do it in a very safe way. So I made sure that if it was ever going to happen, that I knew the person that was connected to them. And then from there, 
explore and allow the truth to just unfold effortlessly. And I did do that. Um, but it got to a point like it was just so difficult having to bottle something up that you know is so true um, and not being able to feel like you could go somewhere. So I think uh, it, was, it was that in of itself. Who did I tell first? That's a good question. I don't remember. <laughs> it, you know, it all happened so quick because um, so I orchestrated this whole get together. So there's a guy who ended up being my first boyfriend. We're both from El Paso. And I suspected he was gay. Something intuitively told me. So it was at the time, it was like pre-Instagram uh, and Facebook. I remember seeing he was hanging out with a mutual friend. So I was going back to Thanksgiving break that, uh, when, that year when I was 22. And somehow made it so that she would go. And I knew he would show up with her. And he did. And I, I was like, my heart was beating so fast. And I was like, okay, well, you have to go talk to him. So we were at the bar or club or whatever it was. And I went up to the group and I was like, oh, hi, good to see you. I haven't seen you since high school. And he's like, yeah, yeah, great to see you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, you should take my number. We should hang out. And I was like, great, this is fantastic. Like, and so we left. Exactly as planned. <laughs> this is exactly as planned. And so then we start texting right after. And then he's like, oh, we're at this after party. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. And there I go to the after party. My sister's like, where are you going? Because I'm not, you know this party or anything uh i was like oh you know friends thanksgiving reunion <laughs> la, la, la. <laughs> uh, and so here. then and so yeah and so i go to this party it was just like a little everyone's hanging out on the couch and this other friend who's very gay uh, very, i wouldn't like that term sorry very open very in the, uh, you know comfortable with himself he was there and so i was like okay well we're, all the signs are leading to the point that like He's gay too. And so then I was like acting very silly. And long story short, uh, he left and I texted him. And I was just like, oh, um, that's too bad you left so quickly. And then that kind of was just kind of like, hey, like I'm interested in you. And then we ended up just chatting for like two weeks. And then the first time we hung out like one-on-one, -on -one, we were driving down the street. And I remember he was just like, yeah. I mean, he said, he was like, you're gay, right? And I was just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I think it was him. He was the first person I really actually told it. And he was like, so you've never kissed a guy? He, I was like, never. And he's like, I don't believe you. you and then he- You forgot about being four. Yeah. I forgot about being four. <laughs> and so he leaned in and then he kissed me. And I was just like, oh my God. Like your body- I, like, if I really like this. I legitimately, I'm not even joking. It's funny, but it's so true. I felt like it was the song Katy Perry's Fireworks. Like the visuals to that music video are exactly what I saw when he kissed me. And I was just like, holy, I, can you cuss on here? I was like, oh my God, I, um, I really, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And uh, so, yeah, so then it was a safe space and we became boyfriends and that was my first relationship and first experience. So, and then, like, yeah. yeah. And then I, at the time, like everyone found out, like all my family, all my friends. So that I started came telling on its own organic. It was like, it way. was a wildfire. It was a wildfire because El Paso is kind of like a small town mentality almost. So, one news of somebody is like it, the whole city knows. And so that's kind of like what happened. And I was like, well, you know, if we're going to open the floodgates, let them open. So and that's with your parents and your family. You know, it was interesting because my parents are fantastic humans and like my mom's like my literal soulmate best friend. And they weren't necessarily against it. But they were just kind of like, they didn't see it coming, you know? And so they were like, okay, we don't necessarily know what's going on or fully understand, but what's most important is that we maintain respect and, and communication and 
continue to honor each other so that we maintain unity and peace as a family. And I was just like, when my dad said that, I was like inside nodding. I was like, right on that. I was like, yes, that's exact, exactly what you need to do. And so it was more so of an experience of like where we have to just, I had to educate myself about who I am and like allow, you know, start doing all the work to like unpack all of that and allow the truth to just kind of shine through. And so I, I started reading a lot and doing the work and I invited my parents onto that journey in ways that was going to serve them purpose in terms of how they would be able to open up in that way and understand completely and be not just accept, but be on board in terms of like yeah. celebration. Cause and they're their, Catholic, right? Yeah. Yeah. But my parents are, you know, they're legit. They're, you know, they've seen the world. They, they get it. They're not in living in a bubble. So that also served me for, like that was to my advantage. And so it took like a year and a half of just like talking about it at the right time, very sensitively. And the movie that really shifted everything, which I recommend absolutely every human to watch, whether gay, straight, I don't care. Like you have to see this movie. It's called Prayers for Bobby. Prayers for Bobby? Yeah, it is an incredible movie. I think it's even like on YouTube. I mean, I don't know, but I remember seeing it. So after when you come out, like you're, you're like, it's almost like you're playing catch up. I'm 22 and I'm playing catch up from things that I should have known or should have been taught or normalized since I was way younger. Uh-huh. So I'm like reading all these things, having these conversations, making new friends, following you on Instagram. <laughs> and, and then you go through, like, I, I, I've spoken to a lot of gay men about this. And I think we all go through the same thing. Like at some point you look for the representation in the media. So I went through like all the gay movies that existed at the time, which now, you know, 2019, there's so much that is fantastic. I really have my moments side note. Now I look back, I, I think about it and say, dang, like if I had this when I was 12, like all the normalization through like, especially Netflix is doing a great job yeah. through these shows and through these movies, I would have probably not suffered as much. And it gives me like such peace and excitement for all the uh, humans who are going through that journey and don't have to carry the heaviness that I had to carry because they're being told it's okay and normalized and celebrated and that you can thrive as a gay man, not just be on survival mode all the time. And so it's, it's really cool to see that now, 10 years later, but at, you know, back then. So what I did is like, I binged all these movies to just kind of understand what it was to be gay in society mm-hmm. and, or just be gay in general. And so when I saw Paris for Bobby, I was like, Oh my God, this is what I have to see with my parents. And so one uh, Friday I told them, I was like, look, we're going to do it old school. We're going to go to Blockbuster. We're going to rent a movie. I'm reserving <laughs> you for Friday night. Or Blockbuster. Oh, my God. Blockbuster, yeah. you know. Oh, rest in yeah. peace. Always in my heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so go on. Yeah. So you're, yeah. You and so, and they had no idea what the movie was about, blah, blah, blah. So we, that Friday night, we watched the movie. And afterwards, it was just like the heaviness had all been lifted. And it was just this like lightness and just truth and love and complete connection and complete acceptance and complete celebration that it was like so cathartic and that for me was just like the major turning point with my parents and ever since then we've been great i mean it's been many years for that and like when marriage equality passed you know my dad was like yeah well duh i mean everyone deserves that equality and that opportunity it's easy it's effortless response yeah it was fantastic and so ever since then and now like and now it's normalized. We've all done the work and now now we've gotten to that point where it's completely normalized. Like it's not even about yeah. being gay. It's just about relationship, like with my family. Yeah. So now well, like I think, when I, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, I think that's, you know, at least true in your experience and true in 
certainly in places I grew up and, and in my experience of like, you know, I had a friend who came out, I remember in grade 12 and he's like, I'm into guys. And I was like, awesome. Like I had no, there was, it was like, I didn't even skip a beat cause it wasn't, yeah. although he got all the girls. So that was frustrating. I'm like, <laughs> like well, yeah, I remember him saying like, I had to try out the women to know. And I was yeah. like, Fair enough, man. Whatever. Contrast, contrast serves purpose. Contrast serves purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it was like a, but that's not true for everybody, of course, and and even in Canadian and U.S. culture, but globally, there are so many pockets where that is so, like that conversation is not even safe. You know. Exactly, and I think that again, like exactly what you said, North American culture, it, it's you know far more progressing than in other parts of the world, which is fantastic because then we get to be that pillar of like, hey, we're doing it, you can do it. It's an, it's an invitation for people to level up uh, and to deconstruct whatever it is that they need to deconstruct so that truth can come through. But um, then there's other parts of the world where like Scandinavia, where it's beyond normalization, where you talking about being gay is almost, it's completely irrelevant. When I was there last year, it was almost <laughs> kind of like, okay, well, I don't care what your orientation is. Like you're a human, White. cool, great. <laughs> like why are you wasting yeah. time on this like this is a, we're we're past this and so it's really cool to see almost like when you go there as a gay man it's almost like the future for the world it's kind of like this is what civilization and equality is and then you go to north america yeah you go to north america and it's kind of like okay we're on our way we're on our way and then you go to other places in like africa where it's like you got a long ways to go because there's a again and really what it comes down to is lack of education and lack of consciousness but so we just have to get that consciousness there yeah, yeah, you know, in the, so we've talked a bit about this. I think it's an interesting subject in just like your navigation of, you know, dating in the world of men and what that's like and, and, and um, just your experience of what the expectations are for, you know, <laughs> I think it's so great for people to understand because you're good at articulating it. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I giggle because, you know, dating in general is, is always a fun uh, experience as you know but mm -hmm. uh but in the gay community it's it's a little different in the sense that and this is what i was talking to you also again what what people need to watch is prayers for lobby and secondly what people need to read gay straight especially if they're gay um velvet rage mm -hmm. so this book talks about how you know we go through three different experiences where it's um to get to this level of authenticity, which is where a lot of straight people start their life from, where it's just kind of like you're normalized from when you're five years old, you know, when you're five, you know, parents are telling you like, oh my God, go kiss so-and-so, like hold her hand, she's your new girlfriend, oh, you've got a crush on her. Like that normalization doesn't happen for gay men and, or, any, or, or anybody in the LGBTQ spectrum. Um, so that book really explains how, because we don't have that normalization, we have to do all this work ourselves to depack things and delayer and accept and then heal. And then we get to this level of authenticity, which is now where we get to actually live our lives as normal, like humans. So it's like, um, is it like the, the first one is, is coming out of the closet, basically like accepting yourself where you so just have to like to yourself and yeah, then... coming out to yourself. And then secondly is overcoming the trauma. So mm -hmm. the trauma of, of, internalized homophobia of years of repressing yeah. you know your truth and so what do you do you know as, as you as you talk about when you repress something people come up with defense mechanisms and sometimes these defense mechanisms aren't of the highest emotional intelligence and so we're living a life 
thinking, oh, this is hashtag my best life, but really it's not because it's not authentically coming from the soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of it is a lot of what I like to call like icing on a cake that needs to be redone. You know, yeah. people are like, I got the best icing, I'm putting sprinkles and I get it flown in from Paris and it's fantastic. But the cake is the one that actually needs to work, you know? <laughs> that sounds like fancy ass icing. Shit. You know, anytime you want to come over, I have you covered for cake and icing. <laughs> um, so, so you yeah. have the, the two stages you talked about, the coming yeah. out to yourself, the, the trauma, and then yeah. what is the and then last? the third stage is authenticity. So getting to the stage is really difficult. Not difficult, but it requires a lot of conscious work from people who have gone through trauma, LGBTQ. And I think this book also would be great for women because I could see a lot of the parallels, again, going back to what I said a while ago. There's a lot of parallels in terms of our life journey. And this book, I can see it. I grew up with older sister and I was like, oh, I could see it where like they would be able to like read this and get gain something from this book and so basically in the second stage after you accept yourself all of your life throughout that time you were creating these mechanisms or trying to find uh compensation for your value like overcompensating in certain areas of your life for that value and so what happens when you go through that trauma get your straight or anything you know you do something to kind of let you latch on to something and so a lot of people latch on to you know, becoming the best academic or being highly fashionable or being mm -hmm. incredibly professionally successful or becoming addicted to like sex, to alcohol, to all that stuff. And so a lot of people to get distract. stuck yeah. to distract. Exactly. And so, or to cope with the mm -hmm. pain. And, and so a lot of people get stuck on that second level and that's what the rage talks about. And so it's like, you really have to recognize that that's not your highest uh, authentic self. And so you need to do the work to heal that and elevate your wellness into the stage three, which is authenticity. And so I mention all this because dating, I can very clearly, and because of the work that we do, I can very clearly see and meet someone and be like, oh, stage one, you know, like they're in the level one, peace and love, but this is not in my vibration. Mm -hmm. You know, I meet someone with the majority of people stay in level two. And in level two, it's kind of like, uh, I can still see you like overcompensating. Like I can see you. Trauma still. Babe. You're still. still you're, you're st yeah. I can feel the trauma still in your body, and and of course you have compassion and empathy for that person. But I can't allow them into my inner circle when it comes to like dating, you know, because that's a very sacred space. And then there's the people that you do meet on the third level, which is the authentic. Authentic, you know, they're they're being very real with everything and they're doing the work, and that's what dating you know, is kind of like, and so it's, it's, there's more people in the second level than in the third. So it's not as, you know, I don't want to say that it's not abundant because then I'm vibrating that and that's not what I believe, but there's, you know, that's just the reality. There's less um, willingness or ability to just, let's just connect on the soul level. Let's connect on mind, body, and soul. A lot of it happens to be through the body. And so you think of it's, Sarah, I was thinking like, it's like anybody in dating, you know, um, if you're still living in your wounds, you're just a couple wounds having sex, a couple wounds dating, you know, like those 100%. for us. And we start to, you know, I've talked about before that we start to eroticize our pain. So like what mm -hmm. causes us pain, we start to be attracted to instead of totally. up leveling. And, and you're so right though, the more work we do personally, the smaller the sort of group of people that we're eligible for and are eligible for us. And that's not an arrogant or a hierarchical thing. That's just the truth. Really yeah. good. That's important to know that the circle's supposed to get smaller. 
that's yeah. not a bad thing. That's actually a sign you're doing great work. You know, totally. I, I always laugh when someone says like, you've changed. I'm like, say thank you because that's <laughs> the fucking point. Yeah, elevating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, like in the context of dating in any world, but especially in that world, you know, you've talked a bit to me about previously about the pressures that are actually within the culture of, of gay mm-hmm. culture, like for body looks. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Do you find those, like as you move through what you were saying, the three stages, that those are operating generally from two or one and then? Well, I'm glad you bring this up uh, because something that a lot of people, including gay men, sometimes don't, aren't fully aware of is that there's a very big difference between gay orientation and gay culture. Mm-hmm. You know, gay orientation is just the orientation scientifically, biologically. I am wired to be attracted to men. Like, blank, yeah. that's, just, that's just the truth. Culture, you know, like Canadian culture, American culture, Mexican culture, all those things are social constructs. Those are yeah. things that you choose to play into. You know, mm-hmm. that, that do, and I like to say that cultures have soul and ego. Every culture, a lot of it comes from beautiful places. The music, the landscapes, all of that is inspired from the soul of that place and the, yeah. and the soul of the people there. But as we know, humans also have the ego. And so the cultures also have the ego. And so I think it's really important for people to first make the distinction between orientation and culture. And also that the culture, specifically for gay culture, that is the loudest, you know, is only one slice of the pie. And so people are like, oh, I didn't expect them to be gay. And I'm like, yeah, because you're only used to seeing one slice of the whole pie. There's so many different types of gay men as there is types of human. And so I think that's the first important thing to kind of just be distinct about. And then having said the orientation and culture difference. And so now when you really look back at, and I can only speak for North American, North American gay culture in the modern era really came from a place of, began as a place from a place of oppression. You know, it was forbidden. It was frowned upon. It was, I don't know the legalities of it, but you know, it wasn't normalized. And so you have in the early 1900s, men humans who needed connection because we're social interdependent beings who need this connection and need this outlet and you know the ideal obviously is mind body and soul connection but if you're not going to have the the space anywhere in society to have any of it then you're going to try to find at least one so really one was that physicality the physical expression so you know like finding a man and just hooking up and and not knowing who he is or and and never seeing him again in your life you know so i this is based on this is my theory and this is my understanding so gay culture really began with physical expression and physical outlet because we didn't have the time to be like hey you want to go sit for a coffee because then you would probably be beat up you know or killed and so it's like and this is what's still happening in a lot of the places like in Africa, places where being gay isn't normalized yet. And so all these men and women and all uh, spectrums of gender were meeting and just having some sort of connection, which is better than none. And so I think a lot of the culture, again, culture began from this like physical outlet. And so I think it's difficult to change the foundation of a culture unless everyone's on board and on board on raising that consciousness, which is really exciting now because there is a vibrational higher uh, frequency and consciousness in, in, in the world and in gay community where now we're having conversations and like, okay, look, our connection used to be based on our need to survive. Now our connection has the opportunity to come from a place of not only are we surviving, but now we have opportunities to thrive and like we can actually sit and have um, conversations with ourselves, with others, uh, with support teams, and 
be able to find that connection that is mind, body, and soul, and it's going to really be a thriving relationship. And so it's like the culture is shifting, but again, we're still in the midst of it. And so like having conversations like these are normalizing and giving permission to, to men and women and everybody in between in the LGBTQ to um, be able to connect in authentic ways. And so the culture is shifting. It's no longer just this physical outlet, but we're still in the process of. So since we're still in the process of, part of some of the you know level two compensations and mechanisms was, you know, like for gay men specifically, overcompensating with the body, having these incredible physiques. And it's like, you know, for me having to deal with that at first, of course, I was like, oh, well, I have to have this body and I have to do this. I like, I have to level up and so I can compete or play within, you know? And it was just too much pressure. And I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, look, as a human, I am going to honor my mind, body, and soul. I'm going to show up and honor my body. I'm going to show up and honor my mind. I'm going to show up and honor my soul. And that is not only enough, but is abundant and beautiful. And that's going to vibrate what I want to vibrate in. And so I'm not playing, I'm not becoming a victim or subject to a culture. I'm creating my own culture and I'm going to vibrate that in. And I think that can be really helpful for a lot of people who feel victim to like dating culture instead of, yeah, yeah, dating pressure in general. It's like, you know what? No, I'm going to claim my space. I'm going to claim the vibration in which I'm going to function and because I'm radiating that just by simple law of attraction, that's what's going to vibrate back into me effortlessly, you know? And so that's, but that took me a long time, like years to get to this space. And like, I'm talking about like getting into this space like a year ago, like barely yeah, coming into that space. That's such space an evolution like, of, of your own ability to separate identity from culture too, you know, in yeah. some sense mm-hmm. yours from what you feel the pressure to be part of a system in an agreement. Yeah. You know, and I might be getting this wrong, but like to be a, a, a desired gay man, you have to be really fit, which is a very totally. similar pressure, I think, for all men might feel, but it's especially pronounced in yeah. that space. Like, I don't want to make those parallels because I know. No, no but, but you, what you're saying is true. And like, I think as a man, and this is what I tell you a lot sometimes, it's just like, you know, whether gay or straight, you're still in the male body. And so like, what would happen if you get two male bodies uh interacting in a relationship well there's a lot of testosterone there you know and so there's i think that's what's beautiful about women uh women can and this is i mean i don't want to generalize a lot but women are able to you know by innately i believe are these have this ability to tap into or already are to be nurturers and kind of ground the masculine and i think well, they've evolved. To, to, you know, I, no one can argue with that evolutionary development. You know, and, yeah, I mean, women are incredible. I love you. <laughs> I, mean, that's, that's babies, <laughs> I think that's incredible. Like, they actually grow a human. That's an actual human. So, it, it, like, it blows my mind. They're just the seed. You know, and I don't mean that. We're obviously <laughs> yeah. the piece that, you know, that puts Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're valuable. Yeah. But I mean, women yeah, are this really is our opportunity to, to fix it. Ooh, ooh, keep this world going. Yeah. But uh, I, going from here, I do want to kind of elevate this conversation or that topic in terms of what I'm saying about male and male and all that is to go even further in terms of like, let's look at masculine and feminine energies yeah. and, 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 and that. So it's like both men and women can and do inhabit, like have that masculine and feminine. And so I think regardless of the gender, I think it's something really interesting to start talking about like in dating and being able to like know what your masculine energies are and what your feminine are and being able to like, embody them in a very healthy way and interact with others who have that within them as well. So it's not even like looking at gender. And so it's now 
again, it's like, I think this way of looking at dating is a raising of consciousness and something really cool to explore now because I look at men and I can see feminine qualities and I can see masculine qualities and they're all beautiful. And I can see women at the same with all of that. And so it's like relationships can really thrive when you know how to dance within those and like give and take those. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause I don't, you know, most people I didn't until I don't even know five years ago when I read um, the way of the superior man by David data, I haven't mm-hmm. really thought about men and women like, but masculine and feminine being energies and, and that's why you see like a hyper-masculinized woman attracting, and I'm speaking heteronormatively, right. um, feminized men. And, yeah. and you see the same polarity exist within same-sex relationships, that there's always one who is a little more a certain way and another. But we have taken these traits and made them gender-specific rather than energies. Right, rather than human-specific. Yeah. And, and what I love about my experience as a gay man is that I get the freedom to dance within my feminine, my femininity and my masculinity as I so please. And the truth is everybody has that freedom, but in the culture of, the, of what is gay, I have the freedom to do that. And so I, I enjoy it. Like I love, I love to date someone who get, who loves to dance and play in all of that as well, because then we get to dance. And I was talking to my mom about this the other day. I was like, one amazing aspect about same-sex relationships is that we really come and look at each other in the eyes of equality. Like, there's no roles that were told us, like, roles that we were told to play. Everyone's like, hey, I'm going to show up here. I want you to show up equally. Let's dance equally. Let's share the masculine and feminine equally. Like, it's just this very fluid, uh, beautiful space that can really serve you know, mind, body, and soul purpose. I think that's such a beautiful aspect of it in that you're, you're dead on. I never thought of it in that concept, but you know, when you look at historically how we've told men to act, we've demonized their feminine. And Mm -hmm. when we have told women how to act, we've demonized their masculine. And, Mm -hmm. and then of course, in the, you know, we've, in the last 50 years, Esther Perel was really talking about this, how, in the last 50 years, we've really fought for more roles for women. You can be the provider, you can be the, you know, you can do all the things. Yeah. But we haven't really given that same flexibility to men, you know, and there's something inherent. She talks about this. I, I have to state that so I don't get butchered. But she talks about how there's something about fertility that makes a woman finally a woman, like when they grow older, mm-hmm. you know, and they have their period, all of a sudden they become a woman. But there's mm-hmm. not the same gateway for men. You know, back historically, you used to send them out into a forest, and if they came back, they were a man. You know, it seems like I would have rather got a period, you know. <laughs> would have, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say that, never mind. That was ignorant. <laughs> I, um, but I think what's really fascinating is in same gender relationships or combinations that are not heteronormative, you pick the parent based on skill set. You know, they pick the, like everything totally. is based on skills and desire. And values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you do see, which I love that you mentioned Sweden, because you really see that in Scandinavian culture. Yeah. Um, it's like, there is no box you must fit in. Actually, fitting in a box probably even feels different there. If you are actually yeah. in the box, maybe you, because you know how now, like even, and I'm not a woman, so I say this only from uh, hearing this, that there's often even shaming if you want to be a stay-at-home mom now. You know, that there's yeah. now like shaming of the feminine in women which I yeah. think it's, it's like, let's just stop fucking shaming and putting people in boxes and let's just yeah. Let the fluidity flow, yeah. And I think going back to what you mentioned about um, 
what has led us to a place of like toxic masculinity that now where we de deconstruct it. And I think it's important to note that, you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, the future is female. Yes, but even higher than that, the future is feminine because then that requires both men and women and everyone in between to tap into the divine feminine and counterbalance the over-toxic masculinity that we've had in this patriarchy. So it's like, we have to awaken and embody and embrace and celebrate and shine that feminine qualities in all of us so that we can re restore balance and again, raise consciousness. And so that femininity is so needed in gay men and straight men and women and continue to, need it, yeah. to be needed in women. So it's like really our focus right now is like, as a collective raising our femininity so that we can restore balance and continue to expand. So yes. And you do yeah. such beautiful work of spreading that message as a love activist. Well, thank you. I try mm -hmm. my best. <laughs> so, I've so appreciated your, I mean, your tell all podcast episode, your yeah. best friend and you lock and lips at four. That was a good share. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do people, find out more about you and, and, and really get to discover more of your work. I know you started a podcast, so that's yeah. really amazing. And, and for the people listening, I mean, Raphael is, is just a love machine. He just that's <laughs> all he does. Is he <laughs> he literally hands out stickers. That's that time. I love really do. So <laughs> tell people, where do they find you? Okay. So yes, you know, my thing is really activating love in people's lives and their inner consciousness and ultimately the outer consciousness, our collective. And yeah, so my thing is love is our truth. That's the name of my podcast. It's the name of my website. And my Instagram is Raphael Kanu Love with a PH. And, you know, this year is really exciting because the podcast has launched. A book is coming out later in the fall and a lot of other little slow cooking projects. And so I'm excited that it's all about, you know, connection and reminding people of their vibrance and shine. Like, you know, people forget sometimes that this is meant to be fun. This is meant to be playful. This is meant to be um delightful and and joyous and and i think because i live in that way like i'm hoping to invite people into that reality into their reality you know and so so i'm excited about that and yeah come on over check me out if you want and we can connect and be friends i mean we're all in this together and i really do believe i know i've said it so much in this podcast but really about enjoying and raising consciousness together and just connecting on you know, our universality you know what i mean yeah and maybe what's um, one of the best resources for anyone really looking to navigate this space of um, understanding their identity and who they are and coming out, whatever coming out means for them, because it doesn't right. have to be gender. It can be so, yeah, it can be so It could be literally just stepping outside of their religion or their culture. Mm -hmm. I do want to mention something. I think this would be a great uh, end to our conversation coming out and my doctor uh, here in Los Angeles, Christopher George, he's amazing, had told me once, he was like, what is a life you envision and who you are and what you want to be and what you do and you know you are and you can do? And then he was like, okay, well then come out to that. You know, you already have all the resources. You already are all that. Come out. So I guess I'm mentioning this because it's like what you're saying. It's like an invitation to everybody listening, like come out as your highest, most vibrational, authentic mind, body, and soul alignment, truth, expressive, spiritual being in your human suit. Like just come out and like allow and open the space to just flow in, in the beauty of, of it all and like your purpose in life. I think, you know, that's one of the things that I've probably always admired in all of my friends who have stepped towards um, 
you know, stepping out of whatever closet they've been in, which I think is true for everybody in some sense. It's just sometimes the closets are tighter and the, you know, and all, yeah, yeah. And all the thing and the, and the actual coming out is so much scarier for some people, but yeah. what, whatever your closet is, um, just that was so inspiring about my friends who have watched do that is I think my, especially my friends who are quote unquote gay is that they are so authentically themselves and they just, mm. because they've experienced what that doesn't feel like. Totally. And so it's so much like it is my favorite thing because it's so inspiring. Yeah. And, and I think you, mm-hmm. I, I love that you say that because you, the contrast of not living your truth and knowing who you are, but not living it is so unserving and, and not a, not a fun place to be. So it's That's like when you finally come out, yeah. When you come out, it's just like, I am so myself and uh, in yeah. such an freeing and light way. Of course, not going to go around and like or harm anybody about that. You know what I mean? Like be, be love and give love, but like allowing myself to just be my love. And like, it's just, it's incredible. And it's such a freeing space. And um, ultimately all humans should, uh, should, should get there because we all deserve to be there. Man, I love that. All right. Well, on that note, my friend, thank you so much for being on today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I love you always. And so much love to everybody listening. Sweet. Thank you, Rafael. 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 Ciao. (laughs) 